0: Hello, everybody. What's up? Welcome back to Space Talk. I'm your host, Athena Brensberger, and some of you may know me as Astro Athens from all my other platforms where I explore different areas of astronomy outreach, DIY space experiments and science experiments. Um, let's go ahead and jump into this episode of how are space objects named? Um, If this is your first time listening to Space Talk, um, you are in for, I would say, probably a treat for today because, well, we generally talk about all things space, and that can range from what you can catch in the night sky to um, things like historical figures or bringing on special guests that are in the space industry or that are maybe in other industries too, like the art, the music, the fashion industry that have some form of connection to science or space. And um, that's one of my favorite areas probably to explore here on Space Talk. And that's simply because I think the intersections of um, worlds almost or interests are some of the most interesting that we can sort of explore. And, um, I myself also have been at the intersection of several different industries such as fashion and science or astronomy research and, uh, theater. And, um, I think that it's much more normal to sort of be in that world of these sort of, um, overlaps of interests because we're humans. That's how we're designed. We don't like just one food. Well, some of us might like one food, but we like several foods. We have a very uh, multi-dimensional palette and we tend to um, be interested in in many different things. And so uh, that being said, I love to explore all of that here on Space Talk. So um, anytime you want to join, you can always just tap that call in button below and um, feel free to call in and say hello or ask a question. So today's episode, we are looking at asteroids, asteroids, um, and that's because they are uh, very close to us. They are within the orbit between Mars and Jupiter in something known as the asteroid belt. And they're these very massive, rocky objects that are leftover pieces from the early formation of our solar system about four point six million billion years ago, excuse me, billion with a B years ago. And um the reason for that is because when you look at, say, a propelet or a protoplanetary disk, which is like an early stage of a solar system before a solar system even forms, you have a newborn star that is spinning very fast and it's accreting a ton of matter around it. And when you start to have maybe a lopsidedness of more matter on one side versus the other, that can start to collide and eventually start to form A spherical-ish object that could eventually form into something known as a planetesimal, which is a stage before planet, and then eventually a planet can form. And with enough time, like billions of years, more planets can start to form around the star and all that other rocky material that didn't start to accrete with each other will then start to get pushed into its own orbit, hence the asteroid belt. And the reason why exploring asteroids is so important is because, well, we are susceptible to them sometimes. It happens. They can pass through the inner solar system. Um, And that's because they, as I mentioned, are located between Mars and Jupiter. And Jupiter, being the most massive planet of the solar system, has a very strong gravitational influence. And it can cause something known as the slingshot effect of an asteroid. And it can get flung towards the inner solar system Hence, that asteroid can become something known as an NEO or near-Earth object. We'll refer to them as NEO for today, or NEOs. And this can happen. This can happen very easily. The other types of asteroids are um, something known as Trojan asteroids. These are the ones that tend to end up behind the orbit of Jupiter. So as I mentioned, the slingshot effect can cause one of these asteroids would be flung off their orbit, thrown into a different trajectory, and can either fly towards the inner solar system, possibly passing by Earth, becoming a near-Earth or a near-earth object, or out towards the outer solar system, becoming a Trojan asteroid. So asteroids are very important to explore. In fact, we even have a day to recognize this, which is on June 30th. This is known as Asteroid Day, which um, a ton of astronomers came together to uh, put this day, I I give this day a meeting specifically for exploring uh, planetary protection, asteroid redirect missions, how to basically protect Earth from a potentially hazardous asteroid impact. But that's about all I'll talk about today as far as asteroid impacts go, because this episode is all about how these objects are named. And that's what we're going to be getting into. So as of now, the current asteroid count is just over a million. It's about 1,113,527. And there are a ton of asteroids that have been seen from ancient times. In fact, some of the earliest asteroids are the ones that have names tied to classical mythology, such as Ceres and Juno and Pallas and Vesta. There's actually a list of a ton of asteroids, um, some that are even categorized as dwarf planets. Series one was actually the first one um, that was uh, specifically observed and eventually titled as a dwarf planet. It is the largest asteroid known, and the this this asteroid specifically is one that had to be observed for quite a long time before finally being cataloged. And modern day asteroid detection and asteroid naming has this very exact sort of, not necessarily a problem, will you call it, but also just sort of a long method of naming them. They actually have to be observed for about a decade um, and continuously observed from several different astronomical observatories before finally giving them a name. And if they reach that point, where they are finally uh, going to be considered to be an asteroid and uh, enough confirmation from other astronomers comes through and they say, yes, this is indeed an asteroid, it will first be designated a numerical name, such as 7758. And this is a specific asteroid um, that was first given the number. And then there's the option for the person who discovered it to give it some kind of unique name. However, this has to be approved first by the Committee of the International Astronomical Union. So we've talked about the IAU quite a lot here. They play a very important role in the naming of space objects. We spoke about this with um, comets, and we spoke about this with constellations as well. And the IAU has a very strong presence when it comes to space objects. And so if you discover an an object, if you discover an asteroid, it first will receive a number. And this number is not any random number. It's wherever we left off from the previously discovered asteroid. So it is in numerical order. So that's what comes first. And then you can choose whatever name you want. If it gets approved by the IAU, it then receives that name. And this asteroid I mentioned, number 7758, has the name of uh, Paulo Anderson, which is named after the science fiction author. You also have The Beatles, which is number 8749. And you also have 5460, and this is Tensinati. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, but it means flying rock in the Nahavo language. So that's a little bit of a background, I would say, as far as how exactly objects are named when it comes to space exploration. Um, Asteroids specifically, as I mentioned, are these, um, there's a lot of them. They're these objects that uh, can come towards the inner solar system. They can flow all the way out to space. And so being able to know exactly where each of them are and having them cataloged and tracked is um, a very important thing for the future of humanity here on Earth. If you ever want to sort of see um, all the different asteroids or explore them, there's a really cool, uh, like, virtual experience called NASA Eyes Software. It's like a gaming, kind of like a gaming software. Um, I'm actually on the website. It's called solarsystem.nasa.gov. And I am currently in the uh, Eyes on Asteroids. I have Asteroid Watch. They have filters and you can see the orbits and the paths and the trajectory of these asteroids. You have 16 Psyche, you have Bennu, Vesta, Temple 1, Apophis, and there's so many of them. And you can also change the date um, and you can see where they're going to be located. You can make it live so you can see what it's like right now at this very moment. So we actually see that we have... um, DART and 67P, also known as Churyumov, that is flying relatively close to Earth, actually passing just now, actually crossing out to the Mars orbit. And then you also have DART, which is flying uh, pretty close also to the orbit of Earth and Venus. So just between um, us and the planet Venus. It's really, really cool software, very visual. Um, but that overall will sort of show you all the different asteroids that have been tracked so far. So that's a really fun thing to look at. You also can explore those names. And if you ever want to do ash- any type of asteroid hunting, I recommend using um, some type of software first, like called Astrolabe. It was some Astrolab, excuse me. Astrolabe is a type of device you can use. You could build at home to actually measure the degrees in the night sky. Uh, We spoke about that previously on another episode, so if you want to listen to that one, it's in the episode of Historical Figures, Hypatia, H-Y-P-A-T-I-A. So head to that one, it's about two weeks ago, and learn all about the astrolabe. But for um, tracking asteroids, first time I learned how to track asteroids, I was in high school, it was an astronomy lab, I was 16 years old, and it was on these really, really, massive box computers. I mean, like, do you remember those kind of like beige eggshell colored, sort of chunky, not the most pretty looking computers? If you know what I'm talking about, uh, send me an emoji because those were so crazy times. Um, That was when we probably all started to learn how to type. And we were flipping back and forth between images taken. So you could either use a ground-based observatory or a space telescope and choose certain areas of the sky map it, take a ton of images, and then compare images. And if you see an object moving, you wanna zoom in on that object. That object most likely is an asteroid or comet. And then if you are the one who discovered it, as I mentioned earlier, you have the opportunity to ma- potentially name it whatever you want, as long as it's approved by the Committee of the International Astronomical Union. Um, as I mentioned, anytime we want to come up with something, we got to you know go go through the, the, the big guys in the suits first at the IAU. Uh, they're the ones who basically end up having the final say. So that is where um, asteroids get their names. If you're just joining us, hello, what's up, how are you doing? Welcome to this episode of How Space Objects Are Named. Uh, so we chatted a little bit about uh, some um, uh, different asteroids that have older names from mythology. These were some of the earliest asteroids that were detected in ancient times. And then if you have a modern day asteroid that's detected, it's first given a number that was uh, following the previous asteroid that was detected. And then it's there you have the opportunity to name it whatever you want, as long as it's approved by the IAU but that's not the the final thing there is a catch 22 here you don't get to name it the the time that you actually observe it in that moment you have to get it confirmed by other astronomers and not just within the week you have to do this over a 10 year period you have to really have a ton of observations made of this object to make sure that this is truly an asteroid that it is following the orbit in which you claimed it was following. And then eventually, if it's um, an object that is maybe within the asteroid belt, it remains as just an asteroid in the asteroid belt. If it's an object flying in towards Earth due to something known as the slingshot effect of the gravitational effect of Jupiter, then it's called a near-Earth object or NEO for short. Otherwise, if it's going to the outer solar system beyond the orbit of Jupiter, then it's called a Trojan comet. Uh, Sorry, excuse me, Trojan asteroid, not comet. Slight difference there. Uh, Comets have their very long gaseous tails. That is because they are outgassing. They're made of a ton of icy matter and material, and they usually come from the Oort cloud, which is beyond Pluto. Really, really cold area, super far away from the sun. And as it starts to approach towards the inner solar system, it starts to warm up from the radiation of the sun, the heat from the sun. It starts to cause it to outgas and lose its matter. And that causes one of the tails. But that's comets. We're talking about asteroids today. So I'm going to play a very quick, short music break. And then we're going to hop into the very ending of talking about comets, talking about asteroids, kind of comparing and contrasting the two and the names And then, of course, at any time, if you guys want to call in, you can go ahead and click that call in button. Um, You're not at all interrupting me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Otherwise, we will be right back in about a 15 second break. let's hop back into it. Uh, But one more final thing to share a little bit about asteroid names. Um, So as I mentioned, they would typically be given a numerical uh, value as part of their name, and then also uh, a name of your choice as long as it's approved by the IAU. And then finally, there are some special uh, occasions where objects will then be Um, named something with a few letters. Now, if you remember anything about us talking about comets a few episodes ago, it was actually, I think, our first episode of How Space Objects Are Named. They receive an alphanumerical name of either A or B or C, basically any letter from the alphabet, depending on the time of the month it was discovered. Asteroids follow a similar kind of process, um, but this is when it comes to asteroids that contain a moon. Not all asteroids have moons. And this is a really crazy thing to even think about because some asteroids are really, really big and they, because they are a body of mass based on Einstein's theory of general relativity, they have a gravitational effect on uh, on objects around them. And so they can have a satellite. As I mentioned yesterday, we spoke about – oh, it reminds me. I forgot to open APOD for today, Astronomy Picture of the Day. We'll do that in about five minutes. Um, when an object in space has a gravitational influence on things around it, think about space being a, a, like a sock or a sheet of fabric, and you put something heavy on it, it warps it, it bends it. And anytime you bend it, if you put like a pebble or a fork or just anything, it can fall in towards that object. Space has a very similar phenomena. What happens is it attracts anything nearby um, that is small enough. And if that object is small enough, it can get stuck in an orbit around the bigger object. Like Earth has a natural satellite known as the moon. Yesterday, we spoke about two galaxies. Galaxies can also have a galaxy satellite. So another small galaxy orbiting around it. So asteroids can also have moons. And if they do, both the moon and the asteroid have to be given a letter designation with the year it was discovered. So an example is 1992 KD. That would have been discovered as the fourth asteroid during the second half of May in 1992. So I won't break down the whole thing right now because it's a little bit complicated to explain without really drawing it or illustrating it. But basically, it's something like this. Objects that are discovered, and this is actually I'm going to read a specific segment from space.com right now. Objects discovered between the 1st and the 15th of January are designated in order of their discovery, such as AA, AB, AC, and so on. So January 1st to the 15th has the letter A. If you are the first object to be discovered, you get AA. If it's the third object to be discovered, it'd be AC and etc., But now for the second half of January, from January 16th to the 31st, it now starts with not the letter A, but the letter B. So then it'd be BA, BB, BC, and so on. BD, BE, BF. So looking back to our example, you had 1992, that's the year. Letter K stands for the, the second half of May. And the letter D means it was the fourth asteroid to be discovered in that second half of the month. So I hope that makes a little bit of sense. Um, if, it, if it does and, and you're following me, awesome. Maybe just give me a little thumbs up or, or a clapping hand emoji. That would be wonderful. Um, so that is a little bit of a breakdown. This is very important to keep in mind if an asteroid ends up having a moon around it. And there are quite a lot of asteroids like this that have been discovered that have moons around it, such as S1998, 45, 1. Um, and this, again, same thing. It's following the same type of system. I won't break up all of, all of that of what we just said. Uh, so I hope that that gives you a little bit more of a deep understanding of how asteroids are named. If you discover an asteroid, right on. I'm curious, what would you name that asteroid? If you want to call in and let me know sweet. Um, if not, that's okay too, because we're going to jump to APOD, which I, like I said, almost forgot about. APOD is one of my favorite websites in the entire world. And um, if you have a computer in front of you and you want to go to it with me, um, go ahead and type in APOD, letter A, gov. APOD stands for Astronomy Picture of the Day and this has probably i think this archive has been around since the 80s um or maybe the 90s but february 8th 2022 which is today is a beautiful green image of the aurora borealis in norway it also says and the light pillars the aurora borealis is this incredible interaction between charged particles coming from the sun interacting with Earth's electromagnetic field, and it creates this wonderfully colorful skyline. Um, And I just think it's super cool. I'm going to break down a couple of the sentences here, as we mentioned that we would do every time we look at um, APOD.NASA. It asks, which half of the sky is your favorite? On the left, the night is lit up by particles expelled from the sun. As I just mentioned, it interacts with Earth's upper atmosphere and electromagnetic field. It creates bright auroras. And on the right, the night glows with ground lights reflecting by millions of tiny ice crystals falling from the sky, creating light pillars. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm guessing since it says that there are uh, ice crystals falling from the sky uh, if you guys were in an area last week when it was snowing, um, maybe you were in an area where it was there was sleet coming from the sky. There was actually sleet over by me. It was kind of like hail, but it was much colder. Um, where hail is typically when it's more warmer climate, so it's more of a wet sort of icy uh, fall. This was a lot more cold, sharp ice ice pieces falling from the sky. So this is reflecting... Uh, the light that is glowing from the lights on the ground in, in Norway. So this looks super cool. Uh, it's a great, powerful image. You have a person right in the center, the astrophotographer with his arms out looking up at the sky, uh, basically saying, this is our beautiful earth and, uh, make sure you go and appreciate it when you can. If you guys have never seen the Aurora Borealis, um, I've never seen it either. I can only imagine how beautiful it must look in real life. So uh, definitely try to plan a trip um, somewhere where they are visible. Uh, I know that coming up soon, there is a, a Planetary Society trip to Alaska where you'll be able to see that. So that should be pretty cool. If you guys don't know about the Planetary Society, it's a really cool nonprofit organization that was started by... Um, By Carl Sagan. Right now, the CEO is Bill Nye, the science guy. uh, Also, Richard Feynman, and also had started it with Carl Sagan. It's a really incredible, um, yeah, just organization. Their headquarters are in Pasadena, California, and they're always doing outreach events. Always doing things where fellow space enthusiasts can come together and work on different things. Um, They also have, if you ever interested in politics and space policy. Um, they have this program where you get to go to Capitol Phil- Capitol Hill in Washington D.C. and uh, speak to different senators and representatives from from the House of Representatives about the new NASA bill. You get to learn; they they train you for the day. Um, Where You sit in, like, NASA headquarters with a group of other volunteers like yourself. I got to do this, so this is why I know so much about it. And they give you a bunch of, uh, like, literature to read up on this stuff with the NASA Transition Authorization Act. That basically is the old NASA bill and the new NASA bill that they're projecting. What they're asking for, what uh, increase of budget that they would like for different areas like research for different areas like planetary protection, earth science, tons of different things, STEM education as well. And then you um, are trained for the day. You get to meet with representatives from NASA who are talking you through this bill. And then you get to go and sit down face to face with these senators and speak with them about these areas. And the main purpose for this is because it's coming from volunteers from people who who love this stuff who think it's important who were maybe personally affected by it and that's what i mean that's what uh, a lot of the senators and house of representatives that's what they want to hear they'd rather hear from not professionally trained lobbyists but instead everyday people who are coming taking their own time out of their day to talk about this stuff so i know that was a little bit of a sidetrack um it's just because I, I, I love the planetary society so much and planetary radio. Um, it's super cool. Also, po- also a, a podcast I aspire to, to, to be like, um, which speaking of, I've got some really cool upcoming guests. Um, I actually just had a call right before this with a friend of mine, Adara, and she is a pop electronic music, musician and singer. And, uh, her entire, uh, like her entire music and everything that she does is based around futurism and space exploration, and so um, she is using her intellect and her passion and um, and her her knowledge base in astronomy and physics and and space exploration and translating that into music and songwriting and performances. I mean, her performances. Have you guys ever been heard about like Pink Floyd's Planetarium show, integrating music and and science to really create this incredible human experience. So I cannot wait for her to come on. Uh, We'll probably be scheduling that soon. But for the meantime, we do have some upcoming guests. We have Dr. Charles Liu coming on in March. We have Dr. Kirby Runyon also coming on in March. We have another um, spacey musician uh, coming out of Columbia, uh, Diana Aponte. She should be coming on hopefully in a couple of weeks, just waiting on confirmation, um, but that is that is about everything I want to share with y'all. So if you have any questions, again, feel free to hit the call-in button and pop on. Um, otherwise, that is about everything. So I hope you guys learned a little bit about um, how to uh, explore asteroids. Looks like we've got a caller. So I'm going to go ahead and tap the take caller next. So Mario, what's up? How's it going?
1: Hi. Hello. Yes. It's going great. Actually feeling a bit under the weather, but you know, it happens. Oh, no!
0: Oh, I hope you feel better soon.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's it happens sometimes. But, and and but, but thank you, yeah, yeah. I actually got back from taking a PCR test because someone in my household actually did test positive for COVID despite having oh, um, all three vaccines.
0: Oh, but, no, yeah, yeah,
1: no, and I'm also fully vaccinated, but you know, I, it's,
0: it's it's still happening, but I'm yeah. still very much glad that you are vaccinated and that you are. You know, t- taking as many precautions as possible anyway to just not feel yeah. horrible symptoms. So I hope you do feel better soon. Yeah. Um, so what's up? What's, what else is going on? Any questions you got today?
1: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, a question. Yes. I actually had a question about the, the Ouroborodalus you were talking about. Yes. So um, it occurred to me just now. So have we observed these Northern Lights or yes on other planets?
0: Yes, so just like also on, um, I think we've seen it on Jupiter, on the northern pole of Saturn. Um, I think it's that the hexagonal shape on Saturn. If anyone has ever seen that, um, you do also observe because other planets also have an electromagnetic field as well.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, 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 then mm, the hexagonal, oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now.
0: I know. I just looked it up to make sure that that wasn't a storm. It might have been a storm, actually. I think that one is actually a storm. So a little bit, a little bit different. But um, that and uh, but also on Jupiter has a huge magnetosphere. I mean, because Jupiter is so massive and has a lot of electrical charge. Yeah, it's yeah. Everything is larger on Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever seen it in person?
1: No, I haven't. And you know, I actually like. It's like it's like definitely. It's one like one of the things that I really want to do for a while um I first learned about it like years ago, like and I was like still back in the third grade because it was like in the polar express, do you know that mm-hmm. movie? It's, like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I saw it in there and they do it like' like great scene. I'm like it's actually been like like I'm on like my book list for like a while now, like, like yeah, like I really want to see it it's like and and there's so much science going on to it, you know, this charged particles from like the sun interaction with the atmosphere, you know, and there's like so much like so much like beauty in it like like to me to me like the lights is like the perfect example of the beauty in science to me
0: it is you're completely i completely agree with you on that yeah yeah and i think what's so cool too is the the different colors that you can see kind of depending on the the altitude uh because it is as you mentioned also an interaction of, of the atmosphere of earth and um if you've ever kind of taken maybe at an earth science class before, or maybe even in an astronomy class, I've learned this in an astronomy class as well, is the breakdown of each level of the atmosphere, like the troposphere, the stratosphere, where the ozone layer is located. Each of those have like a certain amount of, of density of particles, um, such as like nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, um, helium, and depending on what area is interacting with these charged particles from the sun and um, Earth's electromagnetic field, it will cause these different colors. And like you said, it's it's like as if the universe is painting an art piece for us here on Earth. And that is truly like the most magical thing I would say about, about science um, yeah. is the well, how to us it can look very uh, almost wonderful and beautiful and yeah, extravagant.
1: Yeah. Oh, I like that, you know, the universe painting a picture for us. I I, I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I think if we probably looked at life like that a lot more, um there would probably be so much more of a deeper appreciation of yeah. just like I think overall all of humanity's existence and yeah, and even just the the places here on earth. They they just look so so cool. Um, so I do hope you get to go go see the auroras. Um, have you been able to do any stargazing lately as well?
1: Oh uh, well, no, no, not really. I, I've, I've been pretty pretty busy with with a lot of a lot of school stuff. I've been taking a lot of online classes. You mean like stuff like outside my school? So yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. But you know, I every time I'm outside, you know, I still look up, see some stars. You know. I can see Orion. This is the season of Orion for, for me over here.
0: Yeah, Orion yeah. Is, is, is such a great constellation to catch. Well, if you are out on, let's see what date that was. Oh, I think Orion and the moon tomorrow on the 9th. Um, If you're going to be looking up at Orion, you can catch the moon passing by. And the Pleiades is just north and to the right, so northeast of Orion.
1: Yeah, I also really like really the Pleiades, yeah. So it's like one, one of my go-to's when like I point something out because like the Pleiades has like a, a mythology story attached to it, and so does Orion. So that's like the first yeah. thing I point to people, you know. So it's like when I say, "Oh," they're like, "Tell me." Uh, people are like, "Oh, tell me something um, an interesting fact about the sky." And I say, "Well, if you look up and like there, it's it's actually it's it's a great story and it gets people engrossed."
0: It is it yeah. really is, I love that. I wish we could do more storytelling like that almost, where we can just sort of look up at the sky and use that as our cinema every now and then, our movie theater, because uh, that's how we used to, you yeah, know our, our, our c- ancestors our, yeah,
1: I like that our cinema,
0: yeah, yeah. You,
1: you're good at this, yeah, like yeah, like
0: <laughs> yeah, like,
1: the, like look at the night sky at our cinema, yeah,, that's a good, I like <laughs> that. yeah.
0: Ah uh, well anyway, Mario, thank you so much for hopping on. Did you have any other questions uh you wanted to ask or anything else you wanted to share?
1: Yeah, no. no. Oh, I'm I'm really looking forward to your interview with Adara. Yeah.
0: To to what? I'm sorry. To to that.
1: um to your interview with Adara, yes.
0: Oh thanks. Yeah, I'm so excited to have her yes. on. I'll probably announce that um pretty soon. So yes. we'll be Yeah, you actually listening
1: to her music when when you started posting about her and yeah, I really like her.
0: Oh, yay, oh, so happy to hear that um, yeah, yeah it's such such incredible music, um, and it's yeah. so moving, and yeah,
1: and like the music videos are like so beautiful too, and like yeah, it's just great,
0: yeah, oh, well, right. I'm so happy to hear that, awesome, well, Mario, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Good luck right, with the rest too. of your studies and your work as well.
1: All right. thank you very much,
0: yeah, thank you. All right, everybody. Well, it looks like we are closing in now on um, our discussion today about asteroids. Um, I hope you learned a little bit of something or maybe you got a bit of inspiration to go out and explore the night sky or maybe get a telescope and do some of your own astrophotography or citizen science work in your um, – maybe in your backyard or to try and track asteroids on your own. Um, so I hope you all have a great rest of your day. I hope you get to get outside and explore the night sky and until next time, add Astra.